Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about Professor Melina Abdullah's charges being dropped, a developing CHP fraudulent overtime story, military war games here in Los Angeles, and a not-cop, not-white, white-power character. Have fun tracing that story. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going all right. It's been a, a pretty long and ridiculous week here in L.A. Uh, oh, yeah. Explosions in downtown, which we'll talk about a little bit later. <laughs> uh, we got the Green New Deal making some waves in Washington, which yes, I'm going to touch do. on in a bit. Uh, the the water stopped. Uh, and I think I'm one of these people who feels like <laughs> I didn't I don't know an L.A. other than the rainy L.A., like that's the, since the strike and everything else, it just seems to have been constantly raining, and it's warped my sense of time. It's weird, like, and then yeah. it got cold. Yeah, and it's gonna rain I mean, a little bit LA, more uh, next weekend. But I'm going to the desert, so I don't have to worry about that or care about that. So that's going to be fun. Uh, but I did want to say, you know, this atmospheric river that's coming through is signs of climate change in a very real sense. Like the polar vortex was pulled down in North America because the jet streams are collapsing. Yes, they are. The jet streams, as they get weaker, allow colder air to mix with warmer air to pull itself away from the North Pole and to dump like tremendous amounts of snow and deathly cold air on huge parts of this country, which there's a reason that I call them the flyovers, uh, because I will personally always fly over. If if you have ever hit negative 50, I will never step foot in your town. Even if it's 80 (laughs) degrees in August, I will avoid that like the plague. But in order to fix this, we've got the Green New Deal coming out. Uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Ed Markey uh, introduced a resolution, which is picking up a lot of co-sponsors. Here in LA, I've been working with the Sunrise Hub And we've been pressuring Jimmy Gomez, Ted Liu, Judy Chu, Maxine Waters, Karen Bass, Katie Hill. uh, I can't remember her first name, Brownlee. Basically, uh, Brad Sherman also, but basically every congressional representative that we can get our hands on or find an address for. So far, we've gotten sign-on from Jimmy Gomez and from Adam Schiff. Ted Lieu has also said that he is on board with the Green New Deal, even though he hasn't officially co-sponsored, but he has introduced his own Get Us Off of Fossil Fuels legislation, which he's introduced three years in a row. Um, So I think that he's like a guaranteed vote for it. But there's going to be more actions coming up next week during the Green New Deal Blitz. So if you would like to make a visit to your uh, congressional offices, please go to bit.ly backslash gndblitz. Again, it's bit dot ly backslash gnd blitz uh, and you can go ahead and type in your area code there and sorry you can go ahead and type in your zip code and it'll tell you uh, <laughs> where office meetings are happening within reach of you it's great if you can show up at your actual congressperson's office but we need all the support we can get at all the different offices there's also going to be a road show coming through with the green new deal in late april uh, and i'll keep you all up to date on that but it's going to be a really really interesting stop there's going to be i believe 15 stops across the country looking to engage young people especially uh people people in college and people in high school so that they can get on board and start creating more pressure so that our representatives, especially like our rather old and geriatric representatives, understand that this is not their fight, that they need to get out of the way and allow those of us that are going to try and survive the climate crisis. Yeah, this is something that we have to live with. Exactly. Like Nancy Pelosi, uh, almost 80, uh, she's not going to be around in 2050. Like she's not going to be around when the the rising seawaters swamp the Venice canals. Like yeah. she has no reason to care about this. She also has enough money where she can pretty much inoculate herself against the damages versus, you know, working stiffs like you and me who yeah. like, you know, it's paycheck to paycheck. And how am I paying rent? How am I paying my mortgage? How am I getting food this week? That all gets pressed 
by every aspect of climate change because we have so many people being displaced, not just from like the global south, but also here in America. Don't forget that paradise ballooned in population over the past decade because people got pushed out of places like San Francisco. We're literally pushing people into sacrifice zones. Sacrifice zones like the Porter Ranch neighborhood around Aliso Canyon. Yep. The longer we're using fossil fuels, the longer we're allowing these crimes against the planet to continue, the more people we're going to see put at risk. So this is the time for us to step up and make sure this happens. Here in LA, we've got Mike Bonin and Paul Koretz pushing for a Green New Deal for Los Angeles. We also have the LADWP setting up their 50-year plan. They're planning to repower three gas power plants, and we need everyone out there the second and fourth Tuesday of every month to give public comment to tell them to not do that. So that means you can show up at 9 a.m. on February 12th to speak to the LADWP Board of Commissioners and tell them, switch to renewable energy. We can do that by 2030 for the exact same price as opening these three gas-fired power plants. So that's the stuff that we've got on the agenda that you can get directly involved with. You can always reach out to the Sunrise Movement at sunrisemovement.org, or you can look up the LA Hub on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just to touch on that really quick, um, if you are not aware of what's going on in, in Belgium with these student protests that are they're literally just walking out of class every single week to demand climate change action. 10,000 students at The Hague yesterday. 10,000 students. Greta von These Turnberg. are high school students. And Greta von Turnberg is amazing. Yes. Like, I don't, she's a young woman I'm not super familiar with. I've seen a several media clips with she's her. I'm very impressed. Dutch or? I believe Dutch. Yeah. Um, and she's, uh, I, Turnberg, like, I'm Scandinavian. Most of my folks come from, <laughs> come from <As> Norway. <laughs> and so I'm not really sure where Turnberg is. That could be literally anywhere in Scandinavia. Uh, but she's like 16 years old uh, and very much like Temple Grandin has very low bar for like BS. She just comes out and says what needs to be said. And it's really shocking. If it's, you get the chance, so check out her clip at Davos. Like the yeah. rich people that were like in the audience and on the stage with her were not prepared for this fiery young woman to be like, yo, you're killing us. Knock it the fuck off like right now. And it's really refreshing to see that. It's also like imagine how far off the rails we have to be. The 15 and 16 year olds are taking up the mantle of climate leadership. Like that's how much our political leadership on a global scale is failing us. Yeah, that's. A lovely note to end that segment on. I mean, I've got I've got some hope. We we got to yes, push for public banking true. in the Green New Deal. We yeah. got to push for a jobs guarantee. The right wing blogs that I read every day because I, I just like to see how horrible <laughs> things are. They are freaking out. They don't know what to do with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. No, they absolutely do not. There's this weird like horny hatred like there where they have this weird sexism towards her, but they're also afraid of her. Uh, I also get the sense that you know. Very much like Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump is scared to death of AOC. Yeah, he has no he, idea what to do with her. He doesn't talk any smack about her because he has no idea. He knows she's right. And he also knows that she will just, just destroy absolutely him. destroy him on Twitter. Like, he might think he's good at Twitter. He's not. He's not. She's really good at Twitter. Yes, she is. And, like, people in Washington with actual political power are afraid of being dragged on Twitter. So, hey, maybe Twitter will save the world? That is the most bizarre turn of events for 2019, is that Twitter may actually, or 2018, 2019, is that Twitter may actually be a contributing factor in fixing things rather than just being the decline into the hell world. 
Yeah, and then there's going to be the Snapchat election. Oh, no, no, no. Let's stop this. Stop this now. Let's <laughs> talk right, about some right. stuff going on here. In but yeah, so uh, Green New Deal stuff is happening. Please check in with, uh, with us at the Sunrise Movement. Uh, we got a lot of really cool stuff going on for everyone of all ages, and I'm really excited to see this move forward. But we have some really good news we're going to start up at the top. Hell yeah, we do. This is a pretty cop-heavy episode, which we've been promising you for a minute, uh, because our cops in this city are terrible. This was an unintentionally cop-heavy episode. Yeah, but let's... Let's go ahead and start with the good news uh, concerning Black Lives Matter Los Angeles leader Dr. Melina Abdullah. Yeah, so on Thursday this week, Los Angeles City Attorney Mike Feuer dropped all charges against Melina Abdullah, who is the co-founder of the Los Angeles chapter of Black Lives Matter. Abdullah, who in addition to her organizing and activism work is a professor at Cal State LA, was facing charges of assaulting a police officer and resisting arrest, multiple counts of disturbing a public meeting, and unlawful assembly. All of these charges stem from incidents that took place at the police commission uh, meetings over the last two years. So this is mm-hmm. a series of events strung out over a long period of time that they just kind of tried to cobble together to create some kind of a case against her. The, the uh, precipitating event was a confrontation that happened about six months ago, I want to say, uh, with Sheila Hines-Brim, who is the hey, mother check of... check out the background noise of one of our other stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Of uh, Sheila Hinesbrim, the uh, mother of Waki- oh, sorry, aunt of Wakisha yes, Wilson, aunt. who died in LAPD custody while she was being held, uh, not at the men, not at the central jail, but at the central holding facility, the yeah. booking facility for LAPD. Under very suspicious circumstances. Yeah, the city ended up paying, I want to say, three million dollars to the family. To, to give you a rundown, real quick, Wakisha Wilson was arrested for disorderly conduct, uh, went into the holding cell, uh, was found dead, and was found non-responsive. A few hours after being taken into custody, the original coroner's findings were that she hung herself with a telephone cord in the waiting area, which makes no sense. That telephone cord is nine inches long. Uh, And then somehow her body moved 25 feet uh, and there are 18 minutes of tape missing. Um, That seems to add up to a pretty like I can kind of see what's going on there. There needed to have been an investigation. It's absurd. Well, and also apparently something that we've we've learned recently was that the jailer who was seen to be responsible for her care for making sure that Wakisa Wilson like didn't die in police custody was fired over this incident eventually. So there was an internal investigation that went down. People did lose their jobs, but those findings were not released to the public. It's taken a lot of time to get that information out because Wakisha Wilson died four years ago at this point. The, the level of the lack of transparency in LAPD. And in the district attorney and how they deal with all this stuff in the police commission is absurd. But uh, at, at this particular meeting, uh, Sheila Hines-Brim was accused of throwing the ashes of Wakisha yes. Wilson at uh, Chief Charlie Beck. Yep. Uh, Chief Charlie Beck claims that some of them got in her mouth. His, uh, mouth. his mouth, sorry. Okay. Uh, they've been going back and forth on whether or not those will be those charges are going to be pressed against her. Melina Abdullah was I, I accused. I think she actually accepted a, uh, a, a plea. A, not not a plea, but she took basically a, a oh, deferred a, sentence. Like a of, no, no contest. Yeah, like yeah. A, a community service thing for, okay. I think, uh, some number of hours over the next 18 months okay. in probation or something yeah. like that. So uh, I think but Melina Abdullah was accused of grabbing a police officer yes. when she was ejected from the meeting. The other weird thing was like Melina showed up right as everything was going down and was immediately ejected from the meeting without having said anything, without having done anything. When they saw her, they said, grab Melina also. Like she was told like the cops there were told by the people in charge 
to arrest Melina Abdullah, even though she hadn't done anything. This resulted in eight charges. It's almost uh, like stemming... they're afraid of strong black women's voices. Yeah, well, and especially a, a strong black woman professor who's yeah. been kicking their ass. Remember, she's <laughs> one of the reasons that we have SB 1421 and Chief yes. Charlie Beck retired early. Uh, but Molina was arrested basically without cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city attorney's office was trying to maintain that just disrupting a meeting is uh, uh, an arrestable offense. And that's something that has gotten some clarity in the uh, settlement that she's come to with the city attorney's office. Exactly. So court documents show that in order for these charges to truly disappear, Abdullah needs to follow the rules uh, that are actually pretty similar to what's going on in City Hall. Uh, like, basically, if you disrupt the meeting, you can get warned. And if you continue to disrupt the meeting, you get ejected. If you refuse to leave, then you can be arrested for refusing to comply. Um, so basically, if she gets arrested for anything, then the charges will be brought back and she'll go yeah. deal with all of that. However, if what the, the takeaway that you were just mentioning, Bushido, is that just disrupting the meeting is not grounds for arrest, un- yeah. unlike what they had previously been trying to push. Yeah, and that that goes a long way to making it easier to make sure that people can have their voices heard and can, like, give the police commission the business because these are incredibly uh, powerful people. Steve Soberoff, very rich man, has a lot of business interests here in Los Angeles. Uh, Jackie, not Goldberg, I believe uh, Goldstein is his name. Mm. Uh, he's the or she's the uh, head of Liberty Hill, uh, which is actually uh, one of the grant givers that Power uses. Like we're funded partly by Liberty Hill, uh, and yet the CEO of Liberty Hill keeps building new jails here in LA. So we're seeing a real disconnect between the quote liberal policies of those wealthy and powerful people in these positions and what the activists and grassroots community organizers are actually trying to achieve through organizations that they control. It's a weird, weird mixed bag. And also Steve Soberoff's son, NBC reporter, done a lot of good work on mass incarceration and especially the incarceration uh, at the border of migrants. uh, And yet his dad keeps building prisons in LA. So figure that one out. Yeah. So just a quick note, a spokesman from the city attorney's office told the LA Times in an email that the entire aim of the prosecution was to, quote, ensure that the commission meetings are not disrupted in ways that prevent other members of the public from participating while protecting individuals' rights to say what they mean. Yeah, basically, uh, <laughs> they want the L.A. Police Commission Board to be a rubber stamp for LAPD. Yes, they do. They don't want people objecting and saying, no, don't do that. Uh, and it, I, I think that uh, they're going to have a much harder time uh, dealing with activists who now know how far they can push the envelope and also how much power they've got. Like, this is literally creating and changing policy as we move forward. That wouldn't happen without Black Lives Matter and their allies showing up at these meetings consistently and making sure that they're heard because we didn't get here by them quietly raising their hand and asking for their turn. They made a point of being heard, of making sure they couldn't be ignored. So we're going to have to keep doing that going forward. Is what you're saying that direct action works? It is. It is. <laughs> this is like a common theme for the last few podcasts. No, they get, you know, people in power get really scared when you show up and say, hey, I don't like what you're doing. You know, Jimmy Gomez was dead set against the Green New Deal. Three office visits later from Sunrise. Hey, guess what? He's a co-sponsor on the Green New Deal. Pressure works. Uh, but yeah, this is a huge victory for not just Black Lives Matter Los Angeles and not just Black Lives Matter on a national level, but like for groups like ours uh, at Ground Game and Power who are very skeptical of the police sorry, very skeptical of the police state and want to use every creative and innovative tactic we can to make sure that we educate the public as to what the police state looks like and how we can resist it. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to more cops behaving badly (laughs) uh, with uh, CHP who like... 
up until the uh, the grapevine kind of scandal where they're pulling over uh, drivers on suspicion of transporting drugs who all happen to be darker than white. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, darker than white is a well, very CH- apt description. Yeah, like CHP sort of had this reputation as being like the good-ish cops. Like they, they you know, kind of are not the, the beat mean, you to death cops. I mean, they were people as much. Exactly. Like they're not as deadly as LAPD or LA County sheriffs or like San Diego County sheriffs. Um, but at the same time, it seems like they're having a problem with double dipping. So uh, let's chat about that. Well, not so much just double dipping as uh, exaggerating the number of hours that they're actually sitting in their squad cars doing these duties. So dozens of officers have been, uh, and supervisors, note, uh, have been temporarily relieved of duty while the department is investigating an alleged massive overtime scheme involving officers getting paid for hours they frankly did not work. CHP officials announced last Friday that they had uncovered at least $360,000 in fraudulent overtime hours paid to CHP officers in relation to shifts spent protecting Caltrans workers on the freeways. The director of Caltrans has ordered an audit of all expenditures surrounding CHP protection as a result of this. It's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of that audit because uh, this feels like it's a stone they probably didn't want anyone to be turning over. And when they launch these audits, generally the amount of money missing doesn't go down. No, typically not. (laughs) That's kind of how it works. Uh, So the scheme apparently involved not just officers who, as part of their detail, often sit in uh, their cruisers at either end of work zones in order to deter passing motors from speeding or driving too close to Caltrans workers, but also their supervisors who were in on the gig. Uh, A source actually told the LA Times that, quote, so many officers are under scrutiny that CHP is shifting extra staffers to the Southern Division, which patrols the Los Angeles area. That's nuts. Yeah, so this is all the uh, the South Division is actually based out of East Los Angeles, uh, and they are apparently missing so many cops because of this scandal that they're having to ship them in from other parts of the state. Wow, and this you know th- this is one thing I don't think we talk enough about here in LA is how much a. The average police officer in Los Angeles makes $72,000 a year. The average salary here is $59,000 a year. Um, Cops make a lot more money, and that's household incomes, right, Uh, $59,000. So a single cop salary is more than most households are taking in in an entire year. They make so much overtime. Like every time you go by a movie set, which my favorite are the ones that shut down the bike lanes I need around downtown LA. All the time, all the time. And you have cops standing there for like 8 to 12 hours doing literally nothing making so much overtime. Now that's granted that's funded by the studios, but these are guys who are taking home, you know, six figures, like up to a quarter million dollars a year, just with the overtime they're getting CHP exact same thing. They, they rent out their services to movie shoots and to the entertainment industry. And then they also get all of this extra money from like, just making sure that you drivers don't murder people with your car on the freeway, which if y'all could just drive a little bit more carefully around construction workers, we could probably pay CHP less, uh, but there's there's a lot of extra money that these guys pull in year over year, and we don't talk about how well compensated police are in the city compared to other workers. Like sanitation workers, they're not getting all that extra overtime. The construction workers, they're not getting extra overtime on top of their huge salaries. That's something that only the police do, and it's been protected very, very closely by the, uh, the police unions uh, up and down the state. They spend a lot of money making sure that their members get access to a lot of extra funds that they probably shouldn't get access to. Like There are probably better ways for us to do security for a movie shoot in downtown than having a cop who already makes base pay $85,000 a year 
stand around with nothing to do except drinking the craft services coffee. Like, that's a terrible use of resources. So I think this sheds a lot of light on, like, how privileged a position it is to be a law enforcement officer in California and especially in L.A. And something we really, really need to talk about as to why, like— Cops seem to have a sense of entitlement, and a lot of it is them not living in the cities that they uh, oh, yeah. that they police. You know, there's Capabasis way up north. They you know, the all cops, commute. They all yeah. commute so far. And, well, they also work. Uh, I think generally it's it's a three twelve hour shifts. So you know, it, during the course of a week, they'll have four days off, and then basically three days where they're fully on. They get paid a ton of money for that, and there's better ways to use those limited resources. Like if we're gonna have armed cops. And there might be an argument that, like, we still need them. Maybe the cops that are guarding, like, movie sets don't need to necessarily be armed because they're just security guards. Like, maybe we can have unarmed, less well-compensated patrols that can take over these less high-risk stuff so we don't have guys. Like, I've seen guys sitting on movie sets with a SWAT patch on their arm. You know, they're not in their SWAT gear, but they've got the patch on their jacket showing their SWAT. And it's like, what's he doing guarding craft services? Like the the rock can that defend coffee, himself. Like that coffee it's, is expensive. It's just maddening. When when I was in college, we used to do uh, some valeting stuff to make money. We did the Mercedes Benz fashion show one year. Uh, all the guys showing up in Lamborghinis were CHP officers. Just gonna throw that out there. I always found it weird. Uh, also, my only chance to ever drive a Lamborghini. But I mean. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, so let's uh, let's keep going on here, and let's talk about uh, the war games in Los Angeles. And I, I gotta say, I, I'm telling a lot of stories from my youth today. By all means. This man. takes me back to spending my summers on Coronado, where the uh, Navy SEALs training oh, base yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to stay up late at night listening to Hell Week and thinking that was great because this was all pre 9/11. So like, I would go wandering down to the wharf, and there'd be like some SEALs unpacking scuba gear, and they're like, "Hey, kids, want to learn how to throw a K bar?" Uh, and you just sort of like living in a city that's very that's mainly built around like uh, a naval air base and yeah. then the, the dry docks there for the fleet. Uh, you get used to seeing the military everywhere. Fourth of July, it was like a war games would erupt and they would like drop mm-hmm. guys out of helicopters to take over oil derricks and all of this other stuff. Uh, so what was going on in downtown L.A. And was Long it, Beach. Yeah, it, it took over the pretty whole, much the whole Southland. Yeah, all of it. But none of it really struck me as that weird because I've seen it before. But it does strike me as weird that this, it, like, L.A. wasn't used to that. And L.A. wasn't prepared for it as much as the Army and police said, yeah. hey, we told everyone about it. It's like, you know, nobody's paying attention. <laughs> Plus, like, black helicopters dropping out of the sky and, like, picking up Special Forces guy in the middle of Wilshire Boulevard. Yeah, flying down, like, the high-rise canyons yeah. at, like, 30 or 40 feet above the deck is... Not something that people are used to seeing. Well, and it's also something where, you know, I I had some more conspiratorial minded friends being like, oh, my gosh, they're preparing for like martial law in, in this country. And it's what? like, no, they're not. They're preparing to invade Tehran. Yeah. They're preparing <laughs> no, no, to no. invade Caracas. Caracas. <laughs> they're preparing. They're preparing to invade a lot of places. And that's why these games are happening. And that should be the part that disturbs you more is just like less than a mile away from where these million tens of millions of dollars worth of helicopters and troops are like playing around with explosives. You have three thousand people sleeping without shelter. You could house pretty much every single person on Skid Row for the cost of one of these helicopters and all of the troops that it carries. That's an extremely good point. Yeah. And extremely depressing. Yeah. Thanks but for so that. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the war yeah, games. Yeah, so you actually heard one of those helicopters flying overhead because these war games are continuing until tomorrow. We're recording this on Friday morning. Uh, so basically the war games have been going on since Tuesday. They're going to be ending on Saturday. And uh, don't worry, those military helicopters that are flying around uh, all over L.A., 
uh, are not anything that you need to worry about, according to the LAPD. Uh, so these, everyone in these areas, as Bushido mentioned, uh, we were supposed to have been given notice ahead of time to expect the disturbances associated with such low-flying helicopters, the sounds of explosions, but I, for one, definitely did not hear anything about it until I heard the choppers thudding through the air above my head. Uh, and it's been crazy. Like there have been some amazingly large helicopters flying around. Dude, and in some downtown. of them are really quiet. Like some of those pavlos, like that's a hundred million dollars worth of bird that you're looking wow. at there. Yeah. yeah. So the, there's actually some really. If you want to see some spooky videos, go search for the War Games on Twitter, um, and you can see some amazing shots of just like caravans of helicopters flying through the Wilshire corridor uh, right above the deck and everybody is just in awe as these helicopters just buzz over the head. No, the the amount of technology and training that goes into these is actually pretty awe-inspiring. Like, it's kind of nuts that we've created these incredibly technologically advanced flying machines. We've trained these men and women who can fly them like a a bird that spans probably 25 feet in like width can fly between uh, massive skyscrapers and land on a city street. Like, there's something that's kind of cool about that from a technological and like impressive. technique perspective. It's truly impressive. At the same time, you're like, oh wait, we're just doing this so y'all can kill people. Yeah, that's the downside of it. Uh, so, like we were saying, lots of people were caught off guard by this. I think that uh, Alyssa Walker, uh, who contributes over at LA Podcast and uh, Curbed LA, uh, she summarized it very nicely, uh, tweeting saying, "I feel like they could have gotten the word out." about this a little better, says the terrified mom frantically searching Twitter. That's what, that's what happens. Yeah. When, when you start having black helicopters circling around and nobody knows why they're circling around, it scares people. Like, this is an, an unnecessary uh, extra stress on people's lives. And, I mean, I'm sure that people, are, like you said, touching back on the homeless folks, if you're out in a tent and you're hearing these helicopters searching overhead, like that's going to make things even worse for you there. And this is on top of the fact that everybody was still just barely recovering from all the rain, which was still going on. Like, uh, just why? Why yeah. are we doing this? No, it's it's kind of crazy. It's also insane that we're able to spend this amount of money running these like simulated wars in the middle of one of our biggest cities. Uh, and I don't know that there are that many other like democratic nations that do this. Um, or that like put their population, yeah, that put their population through these kind of things. It's just really ridiculous. I understand the desire from a military perspective, um, to, to want to simulate in these kind of environments to play these kind of war games. Uh, at the same time, our city shouldn't be your playground for you to plan war. Uh, and that's sort of the way that they look at us is, you know, this is what Foucault called biopower. When you have the the administration of a large amounts of human beings who are now, you know, uh, entries in a spreadsheet. Um, you know, that's how nuclear war becomes capable. Oh, yeah, well, 100 million Americans might die, but 150 million Americans will live. And this is how these terrible decisions become acceptable to the people in power. You know, uh, to tell another story, back when... Uh, Hurricane Katrina hit. Uh, my aunt was a, a colonel in the army. She was one of the people who put troops on the ground in uh, New Orleans, not because she wanted to, but because the Bush administration told her to. And I always see this story as kind of a, a two-sided blade where, one, the officers who were doing this were not okay with it. They thought it was really bad. They didn't think American troops should be operating in New Orleans post-Katrina, but they still fulfilled the orders. They still carried out their duty. Um, And so when we talk about things like martial law and we talk about things 
um, that seem kind of weird and conspiratorial, you have to always remember the military is really a machine. And once it starts rolling, it's going to roll until it finally grinds to a halt, until it's finally brought to a stop by the brakes of like civilian power. But there's a lot of firepower and a lot of death and destruction to be visited by the troops that we fund. And to say, like, U.S. troops wouldn't fire on Americans uh, is to forget things like Kent State or the Haymarket riot. So, you know, the kind of, like, thing I want to leave you all with is, like, be paranoid, but not too paranoid. And remember that, like, they're probably not coming for you. They're coming for other human beings on the planet, and those human beings do not deserve to be targeted just as you don't deserve to be targeted. It's almost like we need to stop being an imperial power. Yeah, but people like the empire. It's, they it's, do. They it's, like that oil. Although it's funny because now we make more of it than anybody else. So, But we sell it all overseas to make uh, money. We just need to stop using it. I mean, we can. there are things that you can get that are derivatives of petroleum that are necessary for, you know, healthcare needs the plastics and stuff like that. But, but the amount of plastic we need I to create, know. yeah, like compared it, to, yeah, it's mainly if you get the chance, you know, and I know this is hard in the age of Amazon and like internet delivery, but if you cannot get stuff delivered from China, because the biggest polluters outside of the US military are the massive cargo ships that just transit between Asia and the port of Long Beach. And each one of those ships puts out more car, more carbon emissions than millions of cars. And if we could just cut down on the meat and cut down on the stuff that we're ordering from overseas and cut down on the air travel, our fossil fuel use would drop pretty dramatically. Like you wouldn't even have to really give up your car because cars, each individual car is a pretty small part of this equation. But like there are large macro forces at play here that stop us from making good progress. And a really depressing statistic is if you go and you look at the sulfur output of those cargo ships when they're burning <sighs> that nasty bunker fuel, yep. it's incredible. It's like nine ships produce more sulfur dioxide than all of the world's cars. Yep. It's some it's just insane. I mean I, I might be being slightly hyperbolic with that statistic, so I apologize, but if you look into the statistics, it literally is on that order of terrifying because these ships are just literally burning the crappiest, dirtiest, cheapest fuel they can possibly find because their engines do not care. These engines are tanks. I mean, oh, yeah. The engines are bigger than houses, and they will just guzzle as much fuel of whatever you throw in there, and it will they will find a way to make it turn it into power. Yep. And it, they do not care about the emissions. Uh, one of the greatest things that happened for like smog here in LA was the uh, the implementation of uh, on of shore power, where when the ship comes in, instead of the ship running its engines to generate its own electricity, which generally does not need that much of on the ship, but they do need some. Then they figured out, oh hey, if we just plug the ship into the dock then they don't need to run those engines anymore. And then they stop making all of this nasty shit in the air. Yep. And it's like, come on, guys. There are simple solutions that we can do and it makes things better. Yeah. And anyway. even with that, the, the Port of Los Angeles is still the dirtiest oh, yeah. place in oh, LA. for sure. Uh, like, there's a lot to be done there. That, but and then all the trucks coming out of it. But we yeah. digress. We digress. Yeah. But so, uh, you know, never forget California, uh, very well steeped in the military industrial complex. Oh, you know, yeah. that's why people moved here. Uh, Go visit San before. Diego. It's insane. Well, <laughs> and, you know, even at LA, you know, yes. Raytheon and all of those companies are here oh, because, yeah. you know, pre World War II, uh, this is where everybody came to build the ships and build the bombs and design and the, the bombs. Spruce and Spruce Goose, man. Yeah, and uh, so the, <laughs> the defense industry is very tied into California, and it's one of those things that's really hard to untie from California because it creates a lot of jobs, and politicians like to run on the, the you know, ambiguous 
jobs platform, whether those jobs are helpful or not helpful, destructive, not destructive. So jobs are jobs are jobs. Yeah. You know, when we talk about cutting the defense budget, when we talk about transforming the economy, California is going to be the epicenter of that because we're the epicenter of the military industrial complex. We're in many also ways. just the epicenter of all of the economy of this country. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, last story we got. Uh, this one comes from another Black Lives Matter protest. Uh, the yeah. uh, Black Lives Matter Los Angeles is encouraging people to boycott Walmart, Walgreens and 24 hour fitness because of their treatment of black customers. Uh, Albert Ramon Dorsey was murdered by two LAPD officers at the 24 hour fitness uh, by the uh, Cyclorama Dome mm -hmm. um, on Sunset. Uh, I forget exactly what that movie theater is. It's Arclight. Arclight. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but so right across kind of the, the mall from there, um, during a protest in the parking lot, they were confronted by a man who appeared to be wearing an LAPD official shirt. Turns out it wasn't an official shirt. He was accused of being a cop at the time. LAPD came out and said, no, he's not a cop as far as we can tell. We've finally gotten some clarity on who this fellow is. Um, have we gotten any clarity on whether or not he has ever been a cop? Uh, doesn't look like he has ever been a cop. Um, but yeah, so actually it was the same day that we recorded our podcast last week, uh, around the same time, actually, LAPD released a tweet saying that he was definitely not a cop or at least not one of their cops. Um, despite the fact that he had the LAPD logo and like a badge facsimile all over that t-shirt. Uh, so this guy was chanting white power at a group of Black Lives Matter folks that were protesting at that 24-hour fitness, as you mentioned. Uh, he was in that shirt and was flashing white power hand gestures. Um, and he has been identified as Daniel Sohn. Uh, Sohn made news in Denver back in 2014 after he had a repeatedly made attempts to abandon his dog at a shelter uh, and had the dog follow him home. Uh, it was the same shelter where he had adopted the dog from. He ended up pleading guilty to animal cruelty charges in uh, that same July and told reporters that at the time, 400 of the $571 fee had been waived by the courts. So he basically got charged $171 for, I think he even hit his dog with his car. He, he claimed that the dog jumped out of the car and then he hit it with his car, uh, which made very little. It, it didn't make a lot of sense. It sounds like he was trying to kill the dog that he was failing to give away. And then he brought it to Los Angeles and the dog disappeared. So we don't know what happened there. Um, but no, we understand that he is not a cop. Uh, he's just a fan. And he's got some serious issues going on here. So, Interesting questions that LAPD is still not responding to. Uh, some of our members over here at Ground Game did some digging. Not super deep on social media. You didn't yeah, have yeah. to go that far. Uh, <laughs> you can find the T-shirt that he's wearing because it looks like he's wearing a long-sleeve T-shirt. He's yes. wearing a short-sleeve T-shirt over a long-sleeve T-shirt if you uh, look at the video. You can see the two shirts. but They're, they're similar color. But the short-sleeve T-shirt that has all the police badges and everything uh, kind of screen-printed on it, I, I don't want to say emblazoned, but screen-printed, uh, is actually shown in several LAPD recruitment photos. Uh, it shows trainee officers wearing them. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, it also they... has a PR photo for a guy who's working security at a football <laughs> game oh wearing the exact same exact same shirt. Uh, LAPD promised that they would go after anyone who's stealing their intellectual property and like selling the shirts illegally online because you're not allowed to wear just like a police badge. You know, um, I used to have this RV. It belonged to the sheriffs. It had a star on the side because it was a five-pointed star. I didn't have to paint it and cover it up. If it had been a six-pointed star, 
star like a sheriff's badge, then I would not be able to keep it. I would have had to get rid of that. So there, there are laws that tell you what you can and cannot show uh, if you're not an official policeman. This guy somehow got his hands on a shirt that apparently LAPD gives to like trainees and recruits and people they're doing like security at PR events. Oh, so maybe he was trying to be a cop. They say that they have no record of him ever trying to be a cop. I think he may have been given the shirt by a friend. You know, these aren't super high quality shirts, like screen printing a shirt, not super hard. Um, I have a feeling he was given the shirt because he's friends with cops. He likes cops. He obviously thinks that like cops murdering a man naked in the shower uh, is not a crime that needs to be punished. So this is a guy who's like, you know, very cop friendly. And I'm sure someone gave him the shirt. LAPD still has to explain where he got it. Um, I don't think they're going to. They they tend to ignore this stuff yeah, after a couple days. They, they give care. they give these news cycles about forty eight hours and then say, "Oh wait, our budget's two billion dollars and we have guns." So, so complain on. all you want on Twitter. <laughs> we don't care. And until we got the policemen's union, that's going to be their attitude. Yep, we need to do some things about that. Yeah, but so uh, as far as Daniel goes, uh, Daniel's son, um, nobody has heard much from him uh, after that. Um, it doesn't look like anyone like LAPD is going after him for anything. They did try and contact him the day of and then uh, said that he just sort of ran off, which isn't it curious that LAPD just let him run off without shooting him in the back? I mean... Well, he's not black. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Say the quiet part I- loud. <laughs> Say the quiet part loud, Chris. Yeah, Sorry, no, it's, I thought that wasn't a, like a hypothetical question. No, it was just one of those where like, you know, when LAPD talked about this, you're like, this seems like something that your officers should respond to a little bit more forcefully and maybe make an attempt to figure out what's actually going on here, even just for PR reasons. Because for a couple of days on Twitter, everyone's like, this guy's an LAPD officer. He's an LAPD officer. If he's not, then that should be part of the narrative that like he's not. Uh, but LAPD didn't really seem to care enough to like hash that one out. They just sort of let everyone just, no, rest they just in said ambiguity. He's not a cop. And then that's all, that's all they said. Yeah. So uh, still not impressed with LAPD or their PR. Don't forget, like, LAPD actually has 80 staff officers whose job is just PR. And, like, fellas and ladies, you're doing a terrible job at it. Like, whatever they're paying you, it's too much. Your, your, your PR, your Twitter, your Instagram game, they're all absolutely wait, wait, wait. terrible. But didn't you see that video? No, no of, influences are ye. No, no, but you get the, there was that video that came out of the cops with the riot shield having the snowball fight. Oh, my God. Like. Come on, man. Like, that's good PR for the cops, right? Yeah. Right? You know, harassing kids with snowballs because it's, you know, the same as them not being shot at. Oh, just amazing. Yeah. And this on the on the heels of the uh, Metro scandal and a whole bunch of other policing scandals that Which are popping up. Which we'll get up. back to soon. Yeah. Um, Michael Moore had some festive words on that one, but we're not going to touch on that right now because uh, it's been a, a pretty decent week of news and we've definitely got more stuff popping up next week. Uh, as always, the Black Lives Matter vigil is going down at the Hall of Justice every Wednesday from 4 to 6. Please show up this week. We can celebrate Dr. Melina Abdullah not being charged uh, as well as hold some space and bear witness to the testimony of the families who have lost loved ones to police mm-hmm. violence. Uh, there is a special election coming up in CD12. Uh, candidates are going to be filing their paperwork to get on the ballot in the next couple of weeks. There is also a special election in the LA School Board in District 5. Uh, and so there are going to be 10 candidates running there. It's going to be a really interesting one to shake out. So we'll have a lot of like special election electoral coverage coming up for you, as well as a bunch of new protests and direct actions coming up. I have a feeling it's going to be a long, hot, fire-filled summer. You know, 
Ventura yeah, County has be. burned completely in two years and the Thomas fire and the Woolsey fire, that stuff isn't going to slow down. And there's going to be a lot of need for mutual aid. There's going to be a lot of need for troublemaking and rabble rousing and getting politicians to understand the climate crisis, the policing crisis, the housing crisis and how they're connected. So we're going to be bringing you all all of that fun stuff, and hopefully we can get you all uh, out here and active and engaged. Uh, and that's kind of all I got for this week. Chris, you got anything to follow up on? No, but as you were describing how everything has burned, the only upside to that is that now that everything has burned, it's going to burn again, but at least this time it won't be burning quite as hot and like just literally any, anything that's been rebuilt is at less of a risk of being burnt down again because the fires aren't going to reach those same temperatures just because yeah. there's less fuel and it's all yeah but it's also going to be other places like this huge amount of rain and snowpack that we got that's going to be like that's a lot of short-term growth and as we talked about in the angeles national forest the uh creosote bushes and the bushes that are like wildfire resistant have all been choked out by non-native short-term grasses and those short-term grasses are just going to burn year over year over year and the problem you get isn't just like the wildfires it's that these hillsides become unstable and begin to fall away. And because people in California like having dramatic views and living in beautiful places, which is cool, don't get me wrong. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and there's mudslides and like the PCH is like, you know, an artery up and down the Mm -hmm. coast, always closed, always boulders falling on it. Uh, There's a lot of like the infrastructure we haven't invested in for the last 30, 40 years. That's beginning to catch up with us, and that's all just going to keep stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. So, I really wish that the high-speed rail was a better project right now. Look, I, I'm just thinking <laughs> you can move oh to God. Micronesia uh, and and live and work there without a visa as an American, uh, and that's fine. It'll be underwater by 2030. Yeah, you need to build stilts. Well, I, I was thinking uh, sea tortoises in a chariot. Oh, you know, hey. Just, yeah, yeah. There, there you go. That and then sounds you just, like a much better plan. Yeah, then you just roam the water world. <laughs> Uh, and uh, drink your own pee, I guess, like Kevin Costner. So uh, so we here at Ground Game are working as hard as we can to make sure that we don't get the water world future. Uh, we'll be back here next weekend. Uh, as always, if you want to get this episode early, go ahead and throw us a buck on Patreon. Otherwise, we go live for everyone for free on Sundays. And uh, we got some new Ground Game interviews coming up over the next couple of weeks. My yeah, schedule's a little hit that. and miss. So uh, we got some fun ones coming up uh, covering education policy, environmental stuff, always policing because L.A., city of cops. Oh, boy. Thanks, everybody.